Our epistle reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 39, and this is our sermon text today. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorifies. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text this morning for our message is the passage from Romans 8, that New Testament lesson that Pastor Sam read for us just a few moments ago. Well, as you might recall last week, Paul bid us to look forward through our suffering as he pointed us toward not only our resurrection, but our life everlasting, face to face with a living God forever. That was practical advice. It's easy to remember, to memorize, and with practice, maybe even execute. It's good to remember our present and everlasting reality in Jesus, and it is good for us to point each other to it so that we might not lose sight of our sure and certain hope that is only found in Christ our Lord. Now today, Paul is going a bit further down this track of our present reality as he digs down to expose the very bedrock of our faith, Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and raised. He answers this most Lutheran question for us today, what does this mean? We should also see today's text as a call, a call to actually pause and then wonder at the majesty and the power and the strength of God, and then to give Him thanks and praise 
And then recognize that Paul is pointing you away from yourself to your very foundation and life itself, Jesus Christ. To do this, Paul brings to us today what has been described by one commentator as relentless and intense logic. Now, if you're a Star Trek fan, logic's a good thing, right? But why logic? Because the truth of the matter is, if we are scared about anything, it generally means we have stopped thinking. And Paul wants us to use logic as our aid, especially when we are in distress from the sufferings of life. Put simply, he is using logic to actually break through our pain and to point us again to Jesus. So where does Paul start? Well, this means it's time for you to pause your mind and hear again. He starts here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So what did you hear in that first verse? Did you hear all things work together for good? Or for those who love God? Did you hear the assurance and the good that God is doing in your life? Or condemnation in those who love God? To be plain, a lot of us inwardly faint at the hearing of that part of the sentence. For who here does not immediately wince when they hear, for those who love God? Paul knows this. He knows that Satan will use this to attack us, for deep down we know that we do not love God perfectly. Do you think God is surprised? Paul's not surprised. In fact, he has the same problem. So Paul immediately battles that law on our hearts with the logic of the gospel, our very reality in Christ Jesus. Do you see the logic that Paul is using? He opens this with two words, we know. When we need to get back to logic, we start with what we know. And the first thing to know is that the good of which Paul speaks this morning is creation-level good. God is working for the reestablishment of our perfection. Working to gather his lost sheep into a sheepfold until the appointed time of Jesus' return. This isn't a making things better kind of good. This is an everlasting life and perfection kind of good. And even if Paul brings up the doctrine of election here, this is not a philosophical discussion about election, but rather a simple revealing about something that has already taken place. This is a done deal. Finito, or as Jesus put it on the cross, it is finished. 
You don't have to continually lament about how little you love God, for God has first loved you. You even heard that in the Old Testament lesson this morning. Your lack of love for God did not stop God from sending His Son to save you from yourself. Can you see the logic? You are part of the elect. Now, I'm not saying that you should not acknowledge your failures or inadequacies or even your sins, but rather, of course, you should repent of them and then trust the Lord to forgive and then stop dwelling there. For if you continue to dwell on your inadequacies, you are setting reason aside and allowing your inward-turning emotions to capture you. Now, Paul is not suggesting that we should not pay attention to our emotions or express them. For on the contrary, he quotes the psalmist here who is expressing their emotions and thoughts regarding the history of Israel and the reality of their moment in time. But then Paul draws us out again. When we feel like we are being led to the slaughter, It should make us pause and think again. Problems do exist. (laughs) They are very real. I enumerated a number of ways we suffer last week, but if we focus on our suffering and not our Savior, Satan will attack and doubt will ensue because our sinful nature would rather listen to the enemy then focus on our present reality in Jesus Christ. We are part of the elect. So how does Paul help us this week? Well, as logic is normal to do, he points us to the evidence. Namely, that Christ died for us. He says that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The elect, my dear friends are predestined, called, justified, and glorified. And what does this mean? Simply this, that from the beginning to its logical conclusion of life everlasting, your salvation is entirely God's work. And if that is true, and you know it is, what is the key question in today's text that really drives this home. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This question is a summation of all of the questions that Paul has asked in this text. When Paul asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? He responds with, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He will also graciously give us all things. When he asks who shall bring any charge against God's elect, he notes that the only one that can bring charges who stick is the one who justifies. 
When he asks who is to condemn, the only one who condemns is the one who judges. And what has God said? I have put your guilt on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. I have put him to death in your stead. It is finished. Are we to cry with the psalmist that Paul quotes and whine about letting being led to the slaughter? Well, that is natural for us to do, but it is not normal. Naturally, because of our sinful nature, we turn inward and we close off our sight to everything else around us. But it is not normal. Because that is not how we were designed in creation. It is not a normal response to the logic and the truth that is now set before us. And this is why Paul says no. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. To help us look at this logically, take a look at the list that Paul gives us. He says that neither death nor life can separate us from Christ. In other words, there is nothing in your experience of this life that will ever be able to separate you from Jesus. He says, nor angels, nor rulers, there is nothing in the spiritual realm that can separate you from Christ. Nor things present, nor things to come, that means nothing in time itself can separate you from Jesus, nor powers, he says. There is no power that opposes God that can remove you from the palm of his hand where he says you reside. Nor height, nor depth, anywhere you happen to be, from the depths of the sea to the heavens above, there is no place that can separate you from Jesus. Ah, time to pause. Time to move back to verse 32 to help bring a sharper focus for us today. And what is verse 32? Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Perhaps the first thing that rolls into our mind is a reminder of the story regarding how Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac at the Lord's command. Now God stopped him before he did it because God had another sacrifice in mind. That sacrifice was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus gave up everything the throne of heaven and its glory, to become man so that he might be sacrificed for our sin and redeem us. And if he is willing to do that, won't he also give us our daily needs? But Scripture says all things. The word for all things is the same word used in verse 28. All things work together for good. So if all things in verse 28 includes even our suffering, it means that God graciously allows our suffering 
to happen, to discipline us, to nurture us, and to shape us so that we might stay in His kingdom and not leave. You see, the Father sees the entire picture from beginning to its end. He knows exactly what each of us needs in order to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. And nothing that happens in your life is unnecessary. But it doesn't stop there. All things also means and includes the glory that is to be revealed. Do you see the value that God places upon you? God was willing to sacrifice everything for us. And now that he has us as his own, he continues to provide all that we need, including the security of the logic as we know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And if that isn't enough, there's more. Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for us. He is pleading our case, telling the Father that we are His redeemed children and heirs of His kingdom. We are conquerors. So who's to condemn? Have you ever been presented with the thought that when we wallow in our suffering and we condemn ourselves, that perhaps we are arguing with God? I mean, He is the one who provided the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. More than that, He raised Jesus from the grave. He is the one who is now reigning over everything at the right hand of the Father. Are you going to argue with God and tell Him His sacrifice wasn't good enough? Logically, I think not. Yet we still argue with God all the time, don't we? When we act in a self-righteous manner, we argue that we merit justification because of our performance. When we are self-loathing, we argue that we will never be good enough. When we are selfish, we argue that we deserve God's grace more than others. Where are you still arguing with God in your life? Are you arguing that you don't have the ability to change, to overcome sin? By yourself, that's true, but you are not by yourself, are you? Are you arguing that you've done your best and tried your hardest and you don't deserve the suffering that has come into your life? Hmm. Back to logic. Last week I told you that when you suffer, you can turn and remind Satan about his reality with two words. You lost. Today God reminds us that Jesus won. And together with him we are now more than conquerors. We are children of God. Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil is now our victory. His death on the cross, his separation from the Father, and the empty tomb attests 
to our victory. These are the facts, people. Your everlasting life is a done deal, so repent and believe the gospel. When suffering brings you some angst of mind, body, and soul, pause. Use some logic. Because of Jesus, there is nothing in all of creation that will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And that gives us the ability to take the next step and the next and the next. Because in Jesus we have peace. A right relationship with the Father. Ah, thanks be to God. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.